Welcome to Phil Explorations. I'm your host, Tony Peters. Today you're going to hear from Rob Eckno, who's an author uh, who wrote a book called Is It God or Coincidence? He's also been a, a TV host and radio host, and he's going to talk about uh, his life story and what it's it's been like to get to the point where he's at right now, and uh, how he's been used by God at different points, and how God can use you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cool Explorations podcast. Today we have Rob Enko on, and he uh, is going to talk about his book, uh, Is It God or Coincidence? Yeah, he's also done some TV work and some radio work and is going through a screenwriting process. So we're going to get into all that today. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Why don't you start by just telling us a little about yourself and uh, what you what you do currently? All right, Tony, thank you very much. Well, uh, my name is Rob Ekno, and I go back and forth between Los Angeles and Juneau, Alaska. That's been in kind of my second home for the last eight years, and uh, all of my books that I've either written now in the last year or am currently in the process of writing all have stories about my adventures in Alaska. And um, so the the nitty gritty of it all for you is that uh, my family disease was alcoholism. My uh, wonderful, beautiful grandmother died at 52 years old from alcoholism. My brother, 28 years old, uh, left this planet because of his addictions. And uh, there I was uh, going from a flourishing broadcasting career in New England. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm living on the Greyhound bus station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, then one night, November 28, 1992, I had made my way back up to New England and I was out drinking and got stopped literally less than a football field away from the police station at 2.30 in the morning. And I had been out uh, drinking all night. Luckily, I didn't kill anybody. And um, I got... Uh, my old girlfriend came to pick me up at four in the morning when they let me out after I flunked the uh, breathalyzer test and they held me in a jail cell for a couple of uh, hours at the police station. And she walked in and uh, she was about 20 feet away from me. And uh, I just looked at her. And I said, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And she's like, I can smell you from here. And uh, anyways, that was the last time I've ever uh, had a drink of alcohol or snorted a line of cocaine. And uh Ever since then, I've had a uh, back and forth relationship with God. It wasn't always just, you know, full boom steam forward. I started getting into my recovery program, which is God centered. And then I got out to California, had about 10 years sober. I had this crazy thing happen with a pastor at a church out here after I had gotten born again. And, um, it just scared me to death, and I, I got away from the church for nine years until I met my uh, ex-wife, who uh, ended up getting me back into the church, and then um, our marriage ended after about 10 years. She went in a totally different direction in life, so it was time for me to step aside and allow her to go do what she wanted to do. And there was an ad in the uh, casting magazine out here in uh, Hollywood looking for a jewelry salesman in Juneau, Alaska. And during the time I was married for 15 years in that time period, a little bit before and after I had worked on TV shopping network selling jewelry and gemstones. So the job up in Juneau came with a free place to stay, a round trip ticket from LAX and uh, salary commission, a car to use. And my family's like, ha. Huh, you know, just leave everything with the wife and kids. Trust God that he's got a plan for you. And Alaska, although it's known as the last frontier, as you know, Tony, it's also known as God's country. And so God took me and sent me and got me up there for free. The job that I got, I knew it wasn't what the guy was. Yeah, I knew it wasn't as legit as he promoted it to be. And so after a month, I was gone and I ended up in the tour business. And then from there, all kinds of things started opening up and 
Hence, I have uh, one book now, and then I've got uh, four more books that uh, I will be writing over the next few years that all are about my experiences that God gave me uh, up in Alaska and on the Columbia and Snake Rivers in Washington and Oregon and Idaho. Yeah, and it's really interesting how God just kind of directs you into these places and provides the means um, for it. Well, it was funny because when I got up there, I went into one of my recovery meetings and this big, tall gold prospector. I mean, the guy that, you know, you're in Canada, the, the, the guy that you would normally see like Yukon Jack, right, with the big beard and the flannel shirt and the jeans and stuff. And and he I, I shared something one day and he and he comes up to me, and he says, hey, you're not going home because I said, I think I should go home, be, go back to L.A. because and he said, no. He said that guy at the jewelry store, he was the devil and God used the devil's money to get you up here for a much greater purpose. And that's how God works in a lot of ways. And sure enough, I now have, you know, I have this uh, wonderful book, Is It God or Coincidence? Coming to Grips with the Unexpected Wonders in Life. And that's uh, just uh, nine different wonderful God stories. You know, it, it, he's using me as he's using you to be the vehicle to get our store, our other stories out and our testimonies out. He's using me to um to write books and the funny thing is is i almost didn't pass high school because i was having a hard time with english and almost didn't pass english <laughs> and 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 45 years later when you open the book and you read the uh, forward to the book it was my ex-english teacher that wrote the forward to the book for me all those years later and that was a wonderful moment yeah that's that's definitely irony right there <laughs> yeah well it's you know that's why we can't you know, we we can't pretend to try to pe so many people, as you know, Tony, they get frustrated. It's like, I don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what God wants from me. It's like, you know, or he, you, 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 you or, or you, and, and that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I thought, God, you're asking me to write books. The guy that, you know, doesn't know where the comma goes and the period goes. And God said, that's why I invented editors. So when you get done writing my stories, they will edit it. And that's why I have proofreaders, because they will then proofread what the editor did. So all you need to do is put the words on paper. That's all I'm asking you to do. Yeah, yeah. And I want to dig a little deeper into your life before Christ. Uh, what was that life like for you? And how did it, how did it feel um, just about either yourself or just feel to be in that life? Well, here's the crazy story. My great grandmother, Mabel in Vermont, was so loving of the Lord. She was at her potluck dinners and all of this stuff in this little small community in Vermont. And we would go visit her in the summertime for Thanksgiving, Christmases and stuff. And I just I fell in love with her love for the Lord. And so when I was 10 years old in that ballpark area, I became an acolyte at an Episcopal church I went to back in New England. And then one day I had this crazy idea. I said, I would like to buy some baseball cards, but I don't have any money. So I took the collection plate and went into the sacristy after collecting all the cash and things. And for some ungodly known reason, I reached in really quick and I pulled out $2 and I shoved it in my pocket. And a couple of weeks later, I quit the church feeling really guilty of what I'd done. And, and as I wrote in my next book that'll be coming out, and um, that's one of the key stories, is that I felt for years that God had been punishing me because I all of a sudden I grew up and I became addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And I said, is that my punishment that God's given me for stealing the $2 out of the mm -hmm. church? 
Right. And so for 23 years, I drank and used and, you know, and my whole life, you know, I went from a very flourishing broadcasting career to living onto the Greyhound bus station in Fort Lauderdale. And then finally, when I got that DUI on November 29th, 28th, because November 29th is my last day of drinking. 30 days later, just about it was Christmas Eve. So I had about 28 days sober then. My first amends that I made, I only had a few dollars left in my name because um, I still wasn't working and stuff, but I had a $5 bill in my pocket. And I said, you know what? There was a guy at a party and he kept trying to get me to, to do lines with him and stuff like that at a friend's house. And I'm like, no, I'm going to midnight mass and making my amends to God. I need to start my life and jumpstart it. So I go to this midnight mass at my little hometown church, St. Matthias in um, Coventry, Rhode Island. And I had a $5 bill in my pocket. I borrowed a friend's truck, drove over there, and I'm like nervous as all heck. And I'm sitting there. And, and as crazy as it is, the church was packed. Nobody sat in the pew that I was in. God let me sit all alone by myself, staring at the cross of Christ of behind the altar, just thinking about it and thinking about it. And then finally, you know, the collection plate came around about a halfway into the thing. And I just reached in my pocket. I grabbed the five dollars out that because I, I was trying to debate how much money do you, do you pay in interest on two dollars over 23 years? And I need I need to put gas in my friend's truck that I borrowed. I need to eat that week. And so how much will God accept from me? And I, I, I threw a five dollar bill into that collection plate and I felt instant peace. And it was like the Lord was saying, thank you we're good. And so that was, that was my life before him. And, um, and I've been sober ever since the time I dropped that $5 into the collection plate. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Cause it's really uh, usually a very tough journey for people when they get out of the addiction. Uh, um, so did you experience a lot of withdrawal or anything like that from it? Or did God, God just bring peace? No, it was, uh, it was, it was peace after I, put the $5 in. So the peace was between me and the Lord that I was good with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, that's what I felt. He was telling me, young man, that's all I wanted you to do was to man up. You know, I didn't really care whether you put $5 in a penny in, you know, a thousand dollars. I just wanted you to take the action to humble yourself before me and let me know that you knew what you did wasn't right. Yeah. And I'm good with that. Right. Cause God forgives us all. Right. So he he the funny thing is, is he had probably forgiven me many, many years ago. Right. And I not being spiritually fit, you know, didn't didn't think that. And so I just kept blaming all of my drugs and alcohol. It has to be God punishing me. Right. When I, when in the end, I learned that God is just an amazingly loving God and he doesn't punish me, but he allows me to learn from my choices, good, bad or indifferent. You know, if I rob a bank, you know, maybe I'll end up in prison for a few years. You know, it's not because God hates me. It's because there's a law that says you're not supposed to go in and rob a bank. You know, if I go too fast on the freeway, I might get a speeding ticket. It's not because God's punishing me. It's because I chose to push down on the gas pedal a little too fast. Right. And uh, so then I end up with a year sober, 11 months. I move out to California, November of 1993. There was an ad in the paper. I had no place to live, no job, no nothing. I, I um, answered an ad from a Christian woman in a new in the local newspaper, but she said, "No, you can't live with me." But because I um, I don't let uh, 
if I'm not married to the guy, I, I can't let you stay in my house. So I said, okay. And uh, she said, but, but meet me at church tomorrow night. There's a singles event at this big church out here in the Los Angeles suburb. And, um, and you know, we'll see what we can do from there. See if I can't help you get some something with one. Anyways, I met her and four weeks later, I'm getting born again at this church at five o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a Saturday. So it would have been, um, you know, 1993, somewhere in December of 1993 was when I got when I got born again. And so then I was on fire for the church and I'm like, oh, this is great. And, you know, blah, blah, God back in my life. And then about, I don't know, six months, a year later, uh, I got to this church and it's, and it's got like 4,000 people in the main auditorium. And then they have a little off room in the back for a couple hundred people for overflow. And, you know, if they're sold out and they have a big screen TV and I got there late one day and I'm watching on the back screen and all of a sudden, the pastor, this world-famous pastor, comes walking off the, the stage and into the back room, takes a couple steps down. Normally, he would mingle with the crowd in the back. Something happened, and I've written about this. It's in the book. My eyes caught his, and his eyes caught mine, and I just freaked out. And I just said to myself, if there's ever a devil on this planet, it's this pastor that I'm looking at right now. And I grabbed my coat and started to run. And he looked at me like son of a gun. Somebody actually finally knows. Because I think the Bible talks about the yeah. fact that, you know, these people, you know, preaching, look at, looking good on the, on the on outside, but not really. And he went flying down the hallway and I ran away from the church for nine years. I wanted nothing to do with God. I want, I said, this, you know, this is horrible. You know, I just got this experience and, then I end up meeting my ex-wife by chance at a at a party, and in the in the recovery program we talk about don't leave before the miracle happens. And it's and I had ten years sober at the time, and she showed up uh, out of the blue, sits next to me, we start talking, and then she says, "Well, let me give you my number." And she the only thing she had in her pocket that day to write on was a, a, a perfume card from when she went to the mall the day before to sample perfumes. So she wrote her name and her phone number and right underneath it said miracle. And then you flip the card over and it said miracle, miracle, miracle. Well, anyways, we dated for three years after that, got married. We were married for six and a half years. And then the Lord made it very clear to me that she had other ideas and moved in a totally different direction in life. So he told me it's time for me to go. And then he sent me up to Alaska. And for the last eight years, I've been going back and forth between uh, Juneau, Los Angeles area, and uh, all kinds of things have happened. And the last two stories in this book, Is It God or Coincidence, are now being written into a faith-based film because of the, uh, the amazingness of the stories that God gave me to share. Yeah, and that's really cool. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that uh, screenwriting process? Um, that is going into that book because I know that's kind of a something most people don't understand. Yeah, so I guess it's every author's dream to have their book turned into a film, whether it's a horror story, a god story, whatever it is that their genre is, right? So my last chapter of this book is all about a guy that ends up passing away. It just happened to be his time. And I share the story because it's actually, when I go into my recovery program, it's actually me, it's, I call it AA 101. And it's, I work my program specifically and perfectly. And because of that, everything turned into this incredible story. So I started sharing it at my recovery meetings in Hollywood and all these big time producers and directors and actors start walking up to me and they're like, dude, 
I could see the movie in my eyes while you were sharing the story. Now, I, I wasn't telling, saying anything about a movie. I was just sharing about my experience. And they all had tears in their eyes and stuff. So for a year and a half, I just kept hearing, you know, that should be a, that should be a movie. About two months ago, I ended up helping a friend out at a place called the Miracle Theater in Inglewood, California. And so I go there the first night and I was an actor in, in, in a couple of scenes. And so uh, the first night I just met the, the, the stars, the guys that you know how, are well known. And I worked with them. The second night I said to my girlfriend, I said, you know what, tonight, honey, the miracle is going to happen. For some reason, my friend asked me, the screenwriter of that particular short film asked me to do this role out of all the hundreds of people that he knows. And so God's got me there for a reason. I wasn't there more than three minutes, Tony, in the green room, in the dressing room. And one of the stars says to the makeup lady, she said, he says, uh, yeah, you know, I just directed, uh, was the second director for Kevin Sorbo on his last two films, but they were faith-based films. Now he was like downplaying the faith-based aspect of it. And literally from 20 feet away, this guy who knew me for only two hours the night before, I just turned and yelled and I said, you're my miracle. And he goes, what are you talking about? And the makeup lady looks at me and she walks out of the room thinking I'm some crazy bald man, right? I said, dude, I said, I wrote this book. Is it God or coincidence? And I've been trying to get it into Kevin Sorbo's hands for a while now because people in Hollywood tell me it needs to be a faith-based film. And I said, can you get it? And I said, I'm going to run out to my car. God told me to always keep copies of my book. That's one thing I'll tell Christian authors. Always have copies in your trunk, in your car, because you never know who you're going to be able to bless or who needs a blessing on any given day. So anyways, I run out to my car. I get a copy of the book. I give it to him. We start talking. He says, okay, we just need to get a budget and stuff and get a script written and stuff. So then I get into the car. I was the driver of a, of a car. I was the, playing the, the, the muscle for a, a, a mobster. And so the mobster was this guy, Mark, who's played in Shawshank Redemption, uh, Aliens, a, a well-known uh, actor in Hollywood. And I start talking to him. We had a few moments of our own. And I said, hey, do you know my friend John who wrote this short film? He goes, no, he goes, I haven't met him because he's sick with COVID. So I only seen him online. He goes, but he's one of the most brilliant writers I've ever written, I've ever read. I said, what? Because I, I knew my friend for 20 years, but I didn't know how good a writer he was. I've never written any. And he goes, yeah, he is one of the most brilliant writers I have ever written anything from. And I'm going to ask him for first looks on anything else he ever writes. I want to work with this guy in every project he does. I said, are you serious? He goes, absolutely. So now I got this information in my head that my friend John is a brilliant screenwriter, right? So the next day I call him and I say, dude, you never guess what Mark said about you. He says, dude, you should see the email he sent me. And I looked at it and said, yeah. He says, you're one of the most brilliant writers he's ever written. I said, you know, it's funny because I was talking to this other guy about my faith-based film that I want to have written, but you know, I can't. He goes, dude, why have you never asked me to write your faith-based film? <laughs> I said, what? He goes, yeah, I wanted to write a faith-based film for a long time. I just didn't have the right story. And I said, well, here, and, and he read my book and he said, dude, I would love to read your, 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 I would love to write your, so God gave me a script writer. And so it's being written right now. It'll be done in about a month. Uh, he told me the other day and, uh, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And that's, and that's really cool. Again, God just puts the right people in the right places. And you also used to, um, work on a TV on, I think it was a radio program you did in your face, um, how did that show come about and what was the purpose of that show? So the show in your face, you can still go on, you know, the internet and see, uh, 
listened to about 200 shows are still on there. And that was a Monday through Friday show that I did. And the purpose was to inspire, motivate, and challenge each of us to become the best we could be for ourselves, our country, and most importantly, God. And it was about, um, so In Your Face had, had two meetings. Uh, the owner of the station, Mark, uh, that I was working with, uh, he actually came up with the name for me. And it was, and it was basically on our show, my job was to challenge each of us, including myself, to be my best every day for God. And the other thing was the answers to all of my challenges and stuff in life and problems and all that, when I looked in the mirror, was staring back at me in my face. So it was up to me to now take action to change what I could change and build a better relationship with the Lord and, and do more stuff and be, do more service work and stuff. And so the show was an hour every Monday through Friday, and we were in uh, 99 countries um that we uh, re that we you know logged in that logged into us so that was pretty cool and uh, i had everybody from folks that used to be devil worshipers porn stars whatever everybody that had changed their life and given their life over to eventually given their life over to christ and uh, it was just uh, it was an amazing show and how it came about was funny a friend of mine in las vegas uh she said to me one day Rob, I don't care what you do with the rest of your life, even if you're going to pay for it, whatever, you have got to get on the internet or the radio, and you've got the voice that God gave you, and he wants you to share with other people their stories, so you need to do a radio show. I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to do a radio show? So I, so I was pitching, a, the, my TV job had ended, and so I was pitching products at one of the local fairs, uh, uh, county fairs down in here in Los Angeles, and a guy walks by me, and Mark, and he starts talking to me and stuff, and he goes... He says, uh, how's this product going? Great. And I, he says, uh, my name's Mark and I own a radio station. I said, what? I said, well, I got told I need to do a radio show. And he says, oh, all right. Well, he says, well, here's my card. You know, give me a call after, you know, you get done working at the fair and we'll talk. Literally, he comes back two hours later and he says, you know, I was thinking about that. If you're willing to do a show Monday through Friday, I won't charge you a dime. I'll even give you all the equipment you need to do the show. I'll come over to your house and set it all up for you. I'll provide you everything you need. You just got to do the show five days a week. And I'm like, deal. <laughs> and so sometimes I would do them live five days a week. Sometimes I would tape five of them on a Monday. So if I had a busy schedule the rest of the week, whatever. But um, so we did in your face for uh, three and a half years. And, you know, once the marriage ended and I and I wasn't at the same house and I was kind of moving around and stuff, then God gave me other things to do, which is he gave me stories to gather. And now he has me writing books. Yeah. And the radio experience is something something different it's something i'm learning about right now so it's uh it's interesting to hear uh hear your experience with it because yeah it's it's something that uh, is new for me so it's something i'm growing in and uh god brought that opportunity into my life and it's something that uh you know i'm just going to continue to learn that and let god do his thing um and that's the and that's the way it goes right tony is that we start off like if i wanted to play baseball for the you know the dodgers whatever you know, I, if I, I first I got to get a bat, then I got to get a ball, then I got to get someone to start throwing them to me, and then I got to start swinging the bat, right? And I learn as I go. I don't just start getting out there and hitting 90 mile an hour fastballs, right? Exactly. So when you're starting a radio show, whatever it is, when I'm writing, you should see <laughs> if you saw how many red pens that my editor went through. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I thought, I thought we were going to take every red pen in, in America, you know, when I did my my book. And, and but that's how it goes. We learn, we tweak, we learn, we tweak. 
you know, they say I was at a seminar not all that long ago, and, and the guy that was leading it said, when a rocket leaves Cape Canaveral, it's only on course to the moon 3% of the time. So that means that for 97% of the time, and it doesn't mean it's way off course, you know, all over the place and stuff, but, but off course enough. So 97% of the time, those people in command central, the technicians, the engineers, whoever, they're sitting there, they're adjusting that rocket little by little by little to get yeah. it to, and that's what the Bible talks about. We are God's clay, right? And little by little, he molds us here, and then he molds us here, and then we get out of whack here, and he molds us, and he, you know, and that's what he does. And then as you're doing your radio show, you know, you'll learn, you know, how different questions to ask people, what things don't work, what things do work, what things you get better results at, you know, a different microphone, different head, whatever it is, you'll learn as you go. And that's, that's what life is about. It's a journey. It's not Hey, I'm perfect today because you know what? You're never going to be perfect. The only way you're going to be yeah. perfect is to suit up, show up, and do what God's asking you. Yeah. And the moment you think you know everything, I've said it before. <laughs> God I will show you, you do not. <laughs> one story where, where one story years ago, right before I ended up homeless, I was in a bar in New England and uh, the tab came and we were a bunch of friends were out drinking. And one of my friends, the bartender, said, Who gets this? And, and my friend said, Give it to Rob. He has more money than God. And about two months later, I was walking the streets of Fort Lauderdale homeless and I was walking to go get something to eat with a dollar in my pocket. And I heard this voice in my head and God said, so you want to talk about who has more money now? <laughs> you know, and it wasn't him being mean. It was him saying, hey, I love you. I got you. But if you want to run your show, you can run it. I, I give you free will. Yeah. But I promise you that my will is a lot better than yours. But you may need to go through a lot of your own self-will mistakes in order to find out that I love you so much that I'm still here for you. And I got something a lot better than you'll ever have for yourself. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you did a lot of work with the uh, homeless people as well as a result of kind of your experience. Uh, how did that all come about? Well, I got very blessed. My ex-wife had an incredible grandmother, Marie, and she Tucson for most of her life. And she loved the Hour of Power TV show with Robert Schuler, who is now passed. But um, she loved watching him every Sunday. And she sent monthly contributions into to support the show. And then after a while, she uh, ended up moving out to Los Angeles and uh, hanging out with my uh, ex-in-laws. And so one Sunday, she wanted to go see the place that she'd been contributing to all these years. So uh, we took her down there. And we talked to the pastor afterwards and stuff. And we and, and the pastor said, yeah, I have this uh, homeless ministry on Monday at a place we call the Hope Center in our other building. And I said, well, how does that work? And she said, well, we have about 20, maybe 50 people on a good uh, on a good week um, that we've served the homeless to uh, serve meals to. And then once a month, we'll take whatever clothes we have and just throw a pile of them out on uh, on a table and we'll let them go through and grab some clothes. And I said, oh, my gosh. She said, what? I said that's with all due respect, that's horrible. And she said, what do you mean? I said, you're in Orange County, California. There's 10,000 homeless people in Orange County, California. You're one of the most worldwide recognized churches. 
you have a physical bus, a regular school bus in your parking lot that you could go around picking up homeless people and bring them there. And you only have 20, maybe 50 on a good week out of all of that. I said, something has got to be wrong. And I said, and then you're dumping clothes on a table and letting people pick through and fight through the clothes. I said, right there, this is the problem. You're not treating people as Jesus would. You're treating Jesus's children as, as you know, tossaways, basically, second class, third class citizens. Yeah. You know, and, and the Bible says, Jesus says, whoever takes care of the least of these, I will reward them. Well, you know, throwing a pile of clothes out and saying, hey, here you go. You're lucky you're getting a shirt this week. You know, you bum. You know, that's basically what the message was that I heard. And I said, well, would you mind if I gave it a shot and see if I can do something a little bit different for you? So with the help of my uh, ex-wife and even the kids got involved and stuff, all of a sudden we built it up to where we were doing within two months, we were doing 250 to 300 meals every Monday. And we had it set up because I said, we're going to treat these people having been homeless, right? And now recovered. It was my turn. Jesus was asking me to give back, right? So I needed to treat them as I would want to have been treated. So we set up banquet tables and there was a, a wonderful lady who, Hilda was the head of, uh, she was an amazing chef, cooked wonderful meals. So we set up round tables, you know, eight chairs around in this big arboretum at the church. And uh, we had uh, flowers on the tables, tablecloths. Uh, I ended up, I, I ended up getting the homeless guys. So they, they were a bunch of guys that lived in a, a mobile uh, home out back, this little motor home. And it was literally, Tony, it was held together by bungee cords. The doors were held together by bungee cords, the windows. I mean, it was the epitome of a homeless person's, you know, palace. And yet, Jesus said to me, get those guys, they're all, there's a bunch of musicians. One would play the piano when there was a piano on stage, and, and some of them had guitars. And I said, hey, you guys, I said, I need you up on stage before the meals every week playing uh, music for us. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you got a guitar, you got a guitar, you know how to play the piano, we need you up there playing music. So I expect you guys here next week. You know, those guys were out in the parking lot every freaking day. Uh, playing and practicing. One of them went to the Goodwill with whatever little money he had, bought a little extra speaker. And you know what happened was they were up there playing uh, one day after a couple of weeks, and there was a couple that uh, had been ushers at the church for over 20 years. And I get, a, I get somebody comes up to me and says, Rob, uh, that couple over there has been here for 20 years uh, as volunteers. And they told me to tell you that if you don't get those musicians off the stage right now, they're quitting because they say the musicians absolutely suck and they can't stand listening to them. And I said, really? So the whole purpose was not getting them up there because they were amazing musicians, right? Tony, they were getting them up there to give them self-confidence, to show them that they weren't a worthless piece of crap that was sitting yeah. out there, and right? And that they were amazingly talented and that God did have a purpose for them. So I walked over to the people and I said, hey, how are you? And they said, you got to get those people off of there now or we're quitting. I said, what seems to be the issue? I said, they're absolutely sucked. They can't play music for anything. So we're going to leave if you don't get them out of here. I said, Wow. I said, I got great news for you. And they said, what? I said, look over there. There's one door there. There's a door there. There's a door there. There's a door there. And there's a door there. I said, you got five choices on which door you're going to walk out. You have a blessed day. And they walked out the door. And I said, I don't need anybody here that is not here to serve the Lord. Yeah. If you yeah. don't have a heart to serve the least of these, then I don't need you here. You're obviously serving and for the wrong reasons. 
Exactly, because they wanted to walk around town going, hey, I'm an usher at this particular church. Aren't I a good human being? And, and, and there's a lot of those out there, you know. And so, you know, we all get to make our own choices in life. So they left. And I ended up being able to build up this incredible team. And we had a wonderful, this, this will show you this, talk about this, Tony. There was a lady named Irene who was doing uh, human resources for the church itself. She comes to me, she says, Rob, I will be happy to do resumes and job interview skills with anybody here that wants to put a resume together uh, stuff and you'll get them the clothes they need and stuff. And I said, well, they can use my cell phone number so people can call and I can just say, oh, I'm sorry, Tony's out right now, but I'll get him the message, right? And, um, and so we were doing that. And I went on the Hour of Power TV show one Sunday and I you know, asked people, you know, hey, could you send in some money, some, some nice clothes, whatever it is that you can donate, we'd, we'd love it. And I said, we even have Irene who does resumes. Well, Monday, the day after the show aired, um, I get a call from Irene and she goes, Rob, I can no longer do your resumes for you and do the job interview skills. I said, why? She said, my boss at the church heard that I was on, that you mentioned me on TV and that I was doing all this work for the homeless. And she had me sit there and read the employee manual and my job description and asked me where in the job description did it say that I am to help the homeless people? Oh my gosh. So she said, I can no longer do it. She says, I can do it at my home after I get home from work, but obviously I'll be a lot less, you know, I'll have a lot less time to do it, but I'll still continue to do it. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from Irene. The church started laying off people. Guess who the first person that got laid off was? Irene's boss. Oh, man. (laughs) If you don't think God has a plan and he is eliminating those who don't want to help his people or however you want to, you know, phrase it. But yeah, she comes up to me. She goes, Rob, Rob, guess what? Great news. My boss got fired today. Now I can do all that work again for you. And so I was able to have Irene uh, doing, uh, putting resumes and we got people jobs. Uh, people, so what happened was people donated clothes the first couple of weeks and all they did was basically throw them in trash bags, right? Clean trash bags, but the clothes were dirty. They had moss on them. They hadn't washed them and they brought them and just dumped them off. And I started opening them up and I'm like, what is this? I'm not, I'm not taking these clothes home and washing clothes and doing all this. And, and, and I'm definitely not giving any of these people that come here because I was treating them as brothers and sisters. And I said, I'm not giving any one of my brothers and sisters dirty, crappy clothes to eat, right? And so I got on TV and I said, listen, people, if you're bringing dirty clothes and stuff and you think that we're some charitable outfit here and less than these people here are less than, please don't bring the clothes. You know what happened the week later? People started going to the dry cleaners and bringing all their clothes in with the dry cleaning bags and had everything washed and clean before they brought them into the place. Nice. It was amazing. And then a guy was going on, had his clothing store was going out of business. He donated five racks, clothing racks. So my ex-wife ran the clothing department and, and she had everything separated. We had a men's department, we had a woman's department. We had a rack I got from one of the, you know, the stores for shoes and blankets and stuff. And we had, we had, a, and then every week before the lunch, I went to the 99 cent store and I, I took donations and I bought all kinds of, uh, you know, toiletries and shaving things. And, and the guys would come up to me and go, pastor, Hey, can, can we have a, a razor and some shit? I want to look good for lunch. And then I had a lady from a beauty school. She showed up every week. She was amazing, Amanda. And she brought students from her beauty school and they gave free haircuts every week. 
I was able to get once a month, I was able to get a mobile um, uh, medical unit that came in a big motor home and those folks would come in and they would do, uh, you know, blood test, um, uh, you know, um, you know, blood pressure and different things like that, temperature checks and, and see what they, and, and then I had a legal firm come in once a month to help them with legal issues. We had prayer counselors that walked around throughout the meal. I did a 20 minute seminar, uh, sermon every week between uh, my recovery and the Bible. And the one thing that I did that changed the whole thing that I found, and God just told me to do it one day, hug everybody that comes in there, Rob. They all need a hug. So whether it was 100 people, 200 people, 300 people, I would hug them. And what happened was after we built this thing up, you know, and some of the people would listen to, the, to my message and some wouldn't, and it didn't matter. You know, God just asked me to put it out there. And just like in the Bible, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say you had to listen to me. He didn't turn around and look and say, oh, how many people have followed me across the desert? I don't know. You know, it's like he just kept walking. Right. So he didn't force anybody to, to, to live his way of life. He just told you what might work best for you. So I would share. And, you know, half the people would would not be listening. They'd be reading a book or they might be sleeping on the table because it was their two hours out of the California heat, you know, and it was like, great. I don't care. You don't need to listen to me. I'm just doing what Jesus is asking me. And I want you to be comfortable doing what you need to do for this time. You know, we want to provide a safe haven. So the pastor of the, the that was over me, and I was the head volunteer, the pastor that was actually over me comes to my ex-wife one night. She comes home. She goes, honey, the guy came to me today and said, boy, your husband must really stink when he comes home on Monday nights. And she said, why is that? And he said, he hugs those people. And I was like, seriously, dude? Though all those people, which includes me, is somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's mom, somebody's, you know, dad, somebody's uncle, whatever, who's going through a challenging time in life, right? Nobody grows up and says, hey, I can't wait to be a drug addict, can't wait to be an alcoholic and be homeless, man, I'm, I'm going to work at that really hard, you know, as fast as I can. No, but we make choices based on life experiences, whatever. You know, and then so I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty sad that the pastor of this huge church would say that's uh, an issue. So then he came to me the next week and he said, Rob, we're going to we're going to change things up. He said, we're noticing that half the people are not listening to your message that you're delivering every week and they need to start listening to Jesus. And uh, oh, and mind you, before he came to me and said this, we had gotten 12 of the homeless people to start coming into church with my wife and, my, and, and our children on Sundays. Mm. One by one, they started following us into the church. And so we were getting them hooked, you know, getting them more into God, not hooked on God, but introducing them to, to what the Lord had to offer, right? And so that was fantastic. We were so excited, you know? And then this guy comes to me, this pastor, and he says, Rob, what we're going to do is this. There's a building across the way, and everybody that wants to have a free meal is going to have to go over to that hall, and they're going to have to listen to somebody give a sermon. And anybody that doesn't want to go in and listen to the sermon has to stand outside and wait and just stand outside until lunch is served. And everybody's going to get tickets that are inside, and the people outside are going to have to wait until after the people who heard the sermon go in and have their lunch. I said, so you're telling me when it's pouring rain in, freezing cold outside, 100 degrees outside, you're going to make God's children stand outside because they don't want to hear his word today? Yep, that's the way we're going to run it. I said, you know what? Bless you, but I think God has a new assignment for me. I think that was where I was supposed to take this assignment to, and I left. 
Two weeks later, I get a call from some of the folks and half the people stopped going a month later and 90% of them stopped going. You know why? Because they weren't there for the free meal. They, yes, they wanted to eat, but there's tons of places they can get a free meal. They were there for the love of the Lord. They were there for, 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 for being appreciated as the human beings that God created them who were down and out because they were going through a tough time in life. And they appreciated the hugs. They appreciated the flowers on the table. They appreciated the pastors that would talk, the other prayer warriors that would talk to them. They loved getting their hair cut. They loved that they were treated like kings and queens, just as God had created them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden that got taken away from them. And they were like, listen, and they said to the, basically said by walking away, I said, we're not a charity effort. I may be living on the street now, but they basically were saying, I am a son of a, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I am somebody that has value. Although I may be down and out at the moment, you know, I believe that that Jesus guy took some guy named Moses who killed somebody and then said, hey, you come up here on top of the mountain, you walk down with these two tablets and tell people how to live and show people how to live life. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, Jesus has a purpose for us, yeah. right? So these homeless people were not useless human beings that were third-class citizens. They were children of God, just like you and I, who were going through a struggle at that point in their life. And the last thing they needed was to be told, you need to do this, you need to do that. Jesus didn't even tell people that. So <laughs> why would somebody else, another human being, tell another human being what they need to do? You know, I've learned my job is to be, the, to be prayed up, right? to know the Bible well enough, you know, I don't need to be an expert, but just know it well enough so that I have a little scripture to send to somebody and be prayed up enough every day. And that's how I start my day. I ask God to, uh, I thank God for another day. And then I ask him to please help me to do his will today, not my will be done. And then I ask him to help me to be a maximum service to him and my fellows. And then he puts little things in my way. Some days it's running a homeless ministry. Some days it's just opening a door for people coming out of the post office or the grocery store. Yesterday, I had to get customer service on my computer. And one thing I do when I go online is, I first thing I do is I listen for the name and I write it down. And if I don't hear it clearly, I say, what did you say? Oh, Tony, Tony was your name. Okay, Tony, is that T-O-N-Y? Yes, okay, very good. Throughout our conversation, I continue to use your name, right? And most people, and she said to me yesterday, uh, Lonnie was this lady's name, very nice lady, because I don't know anything about computers. And she said, you know, I really appreciate you being a really cool guy. She says, most people call up and they swear and holler at me. They're all angry at stuff and they, they treat me like a second class citizen. And it's like, how do we get to do that to another human being? Our job in life, I think it says in Hebrews, we are to inspire and to encourage one another and to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's our job. It's not to beat up, knock down, and, 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 and try to build ourselves up better than. If I want to be better than, I'm never going to be. But I can be better than I was yesterday as Rob, mm -hmm. right? But I'm not going to be better than Tony, and I'm not going to, because I am a child of God, and so are you, and he created us all equal. And just because somebody else may have more money and fame and property doesn't make them a better human being. It's just where they needed to be at their particular point in life. Right now, God wants Tony in Canada and Rob down here in uh, Los Angeles right now, be up in Alaska soon, but um, to be sitting here chatting about the Lord. Yeah, and that's definitely a view that a lot of people have is that 
they end up thinking they're better than other people and uh yeah god oftentimes shows you otherwise because uh we are all equal and it we're all god's children we all have a purpose on this on this earth and uh god wants to to reach out each and every one of us listen i have a friend just to give you an example i have a friend who is up in alaska in his drunken days heavy set guy in his drunken days he was at a bus stop he got ticked off at a guy punches him in the face guy falls back and dies right sad story the guy that punched him my friend ends up in in prison in juno for several years gets out of prison and now guess what five years later he's clean and sober and he just got promoted to the supervisor to run the re-entry program for the Native Association up there in Alaska for people coming out of the prison to try to help reunite them and get them involved in the community and doing something prosperous. And this is how God uses us. You know, it was horrible, obviously, that the gentleman passed on. But now, instead of wasting two lives, God's saying, okay, now that you did what you did, you're going to use your experience to now help all these other people. And you're going to, and I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to do so. And, yeah. it, you know, we have, ne- no matter where we are, we have not fallen too far from God's grace. And we still have amazing value if we choose to start doing his work and get out of our own selves. Yeah. And that uh, definitely is something that I can see in my own life and in many other people's lives where the trauma we go through god uses it to create empathy and compassion for that area like myself i've I've mentioned before i was molested twice as a child and i went through a lot of abandonment issues as a child Uh, Mm -hmm. even now there's a lot of abandonment issues and god has used that to really help create and formulate that empathy and compassion now for people where I can do what I'm doing and I can understand where they're coming from and show them that God loved me during that whole time. He brought me through all these trials. He can get you through whatever you're going through. And that's exactly the the story I see with, with your story and the story you just shared about this other gentleman and with stories in your book that it's shaped you to make you to be able to do what you're doing and share God's word. Well, you know what's incredible? I, I I will share this with you. I'll try to make it as quick as possible so you can use the story because it just blows me away. In 2000, I had just lost the biggest job. I had gotten sober a few years and I got this job on my first job on a TV shopping network out in Los Angeles. And the job ended because the company got sold. So I had a few days off. So I said, yeah, I'm going to go relax. I'm going to go just take a break out in Las Vegas. So I get out to Vegas and anybody knows Fremont Street is just a little strip like Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And anyways, I'm at this, I'm at the, the Golden Nugget out there. And it was a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day. Couldn't have been any nicer. Right. And I'm sitting inside playing five dollar black deck, just being like a tourist. Right. And uh, I'm with the happen to be a group of people from Iowa there. We're playing. I'm having a good time. I said, I'm going to take a break. So I go to walk outside and I see on the wall, it says fifty thousand dollar per hand minimum bet. And I'm like, whoa. And I see this gentleman in there with like a $5,000 suit on. And I'm like, gosh, wow, how come he gets to play in there, right? And I literally walk outside and I'm on Fremont Street and I go up and I put my arms up and I look up into this beautiful sky with people walking all around me. And I go, Lord, why me? 
how come I always have to play at the freaking $5 a hand table? When do I get to play at the $50,000 a hand table? And all of a sudden, the second I said that, Tony, a guy in a wheelchair with no legs stopped directly in front of me, about 20 feet in front of me. And a guy, I hear voices in my head, and I'm not somebody who usually hears voices in my head. And I hear a voice, and, and the voice said, hey, Rob, see that guy in the wheelchair? He's got the woman you want, the car you want, the house you want, the cash you want, the job you want. He's got it all. Everything you want, he's got. And he told me he'd be happy to give it to you right now if you want it. You just have to give him your two legs. And I said, you know, Lord, that $5 blackjack table seems like a really good place to head back into right now, right? So fast forward 22 years later till this past weekend, right? I had seen an ad for a faith-based film company was doing a faith-based film this past weekend in Las Vegas. And I'm like, okay, well, I have a script being written about my book, a faith-based film. I'd like to go meet some people, directors, actors, stuff. And if they'll let me come up there. And it was so, and I said, I said, how am I going to get up there? I said, um, you know, if I, if I go with my girlfriend, I got to get a hotel and stuff. It's going to cost me more money and stuff. If I go up there by myself, I have a very good friend who I can stay on his couch. It doesn't cost me anything. So I'm wondering how I can go without disappointing the girlfriend because I'm, I'm really good at networking and that's not her fun thing to do. And I, I really wanted to take advantage of this, right? So five days before we go, she says to me, honey, are we doing anything next Saturday? And I said, uh, not that I know of right now. And she says, oh, because my friend just got me a ticket to the Hollywood Bowl to this really cool concert. And I was wondering, you mind if I go with her? And I'm like, go have a ball. Guess what I'm going to do now? I'm going to drive out to Vegas on Saturday and go be a part of this faith-based film. So I called, a, I called a gal that's running it, the writer, on Friday. And I said, hey, can you use any extra, you know, I'd like to meet you guys. And she said, well, you can actually be part of the film if you want as well. Come out here, you know. And uh, so I drive out there early on Saturday and I go out to Fremont Street because uh, I had a few hours to kill. And I just did a little video about how 22 years ago I was standing here and there was a guy no legs and stuff. But there was a band playing, so it was really noisy. But I, took, I did the interview anyways with myself. And so I go do this, this film thing, and my friend had still not called me back yet, which was unusual. He always calls me back right away. And the thing was supposed to end at 10 at night, and I didn't book a, so I didn't book a hotel room. I thought it would be done. So it doesn't get done until 1.30 in the morning. So I get out to my car, and I'm like, okay, my friend hasn't called. You know, I don't know if he's sick, out of town, whatever. I don't have a hotel yet. I start calling. Every single hotel on the Vegas Strip was sold out Saturday night. Just people wanting to get out from whatever, COVID, whatever. I had a booking agent online I called. She's calling every hotel in town. Hold on, let me call the MGM. Hold on, let me call Luxor. Every place. Couldn't find a place. And I prayed and I said, Lord, please let me know where you want me to stay tonight. I drive down to the strip about a half an hour down there. I get down there about three o'clock. I got lost on some of the back streets, pull into the parking garage at one of the big hotels there. And I'm like, you know what? It's three o'clock in the morning. I, I, where am I going to find a place now? I'll just sleep in my car for a few hours and uh, nobody's going to see me here. And uh, so I put my seat down. I sleep in the sleep in my car. Something tells me God is using this weekend for a much bigger deal than me just helping out with the faith-based film. And, uh, and, and what happened at the film, at the filming, 
it was a, a, a SAG, Screen Actors Guild, low budget film. And I happen to have my SAG card for 20 something years. And they realized that. So they ended up giving me a bit part in the movie as well. So not only did I get to meet the people, I got to honor God by being in heaven. So it was cool. So I wake up and my girlfriend calls and I said, honey, I said, I just woke up from my car. I slept in my car last night. Go, I said, but it's not a bad thing. You know, my car's clean, you know, <laughs> you know, and I said, I said, I think God's trying to get me a message, reminding me where I was 30 years ago and whining about, you know, where I was living on the Greyhound bus station and reliving that experience and stuff to remind me, because I think my faith based film and my Alaskan reality shows that I have are about to really strike gold because they're in good hands right now. And I think God's wanting to remind me of where I came from and how far he's taken me so that I will continue to be grateful when these things prosper. Right. So now I was so sweaty. It was 110 degrees and stuff. And I'm like, I got a shower before, you know, and I couldn't get a hotel room until three in the afternoon because you can't check in until three. So it was only seven in the morning. I go down to the golden nugget. I go into the men's room and I'm, and I'm trying to you know, like wash my underarms and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't do this with my shirt on. So I took my shirt off and there I was in the golden nugget with soap and water and, and, and paper towels. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like when I was living out of the Greyhound bus station 30 years ago, when I was still drunk and stoned, this is how I was living. So sleeping outside in my car and showering in the men's room, that was my story, right? So I get showered up and stuff. And then I go walking outside and there's four homeless guys on the sidewalk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord. I said, wow, you really want me to remember something, don't you? <laughs> You're showing me everywhere I was 30 years ago. So now, Tony, I go out to the same exact spot I was the day before because it was nice and quiet. And I said, hey, I can do another bit, you know, and replace that bit I did about the guy with no arm, with no legs. I'm in the same exact spot, do the same thing. And I just as I'm getting done saying I have, you know, I was with this guy with no arm legs and and Jesus told me this. All of a sudden I hear, hey, man, I want to be in your YouTube video, man. I want to be on. I want to be in the star with you in Hollywood. And I don't know who it is because I got my phone and I'm still trying to end it. Soon as I finished, Tony, there was a guy maybe three and a half feet tall standing right in front of me, no more than a foot in front of me, three and a half feet tall. He had no arms, just two hands growing out of his each one, a hand growing out of each of his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And I said, dude. Did you just hear the story I was sharing about a guy with no legs and stuff? He goes, no, man, but I want to be in your Hollywood video. And, blah, blah, blah. and I said, what's your name, man? He goes, uh, they call me T-Rex. And I said, all right, T-Rex. I said, well, do you have a, a real name? He goes, yeah, my real name is Jesus. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I just did a story about, you know, Jesus and a guy with no legs. And now I got Jesus with no arms standing right in front of me. I said, this, this can't happen. And so you see, if my friend had called me back, I would have stayed at his house and I would have missed this whole thing that God was trying to get through to me of reminding me how far he's taken me in 30 years and how blessed I am to not be Jesus or the guy with no legs and, and to be grateful for what I had. Now I leave there. I do a little interview with the guy. He was a great guy. Doing, I'm driving up Vegas Boulevard and I sneeze really loud at a red light and then I sneeze really loud again. All of a sudden, the SUV behind me says, bless you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I wave out my window. I go, thank you. 
I said, well, that was amazing. I never had that happen before. Get up to the next red light. The car is still behind me. It's an SUV. God says, somebody in that car needs to be blessed. Give them one of your books. So I always have books in my trunk. I hop out of my car at the red light on Vegas Boulevard. I grab, open my trunk, grab a copy of my book, Is It God or Coincidence? And I run back and I say, hey, are you the people that just blessed me? And they said, yes. I said, well, God told me to bless you. I'm the author of the book. And uh, some of one, somebody needs to read it. So here you go. Have a super blessed day. And I walked away. Hmm, how, crazy, really how crazy is that? Thank you for coming on. It has been a true pleasure. Um, I have really enjoyed the, the the chat, the info. It's been really, really uh, a blessing. So thank you. Uh, we'll have to have you back on again another time as well. Sounds great. So you can go on Amazon and get a copy of Is It God or Coincidence? It's on Kindle as well. And I also got blessed to be able to do the audiobook as well. So you can also, uh, if you're somebody who has Audible, whatever, you can uh, download the audiobook as well. So thank you for having me, Tony. It's been a Real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. You've just heard from Rob Ekno, who's an author of the book, Is It God or Coincidence? And he's also been a TV host and radio host. And he's just spoken on his different life experiences that have brought him to the point where he's at now and how God has been able to use him uh, and uh, how rocky your life can be. And yet at the end, God knows what's best for you.